This is a full The Now Media production. Hello and welcome back to Grundy's Grumbles, your weekly fix of my life in commercial radio over a 45-year period. That always seems a hell of a lot when I say it. But anyway, we're up to episode 20, entitled Reading 107, Tough Times Ahead. We left off last time at Reading 107, where I was faced with four, yeah, four major problems to deal with, all coming together in 2005, involving key members of staff and big changes in the board structure. After such a great start to the station over the first two years or so, it's fair to say from late 2004, things took a very different turn. As I told you, the pregnancies of both the sales director and the office manager was of course great for them. And on a personal note, you're very pleased for them. Maternity leave though, of nine months and 12 months respectively, meant you have the dilemma and potential cost of what you do to replace them in the intervening period before they come back. They both work full time up to April and May in 2005. So the impact was going to be incurred from that point onwards. The situation with the board came to a head in August 2005. As I said, it all comes together in 2005, when Milestone finally sold their shareholding, which was gobbled up, as I've told you, by both Guardian Media and John Modeski. The problem with that was, on the face of it, you've reduced it to two major shareholders. Surely that's less complicated. In fact, it was more complicated. Why? Well, all of a sudden, the two major shareholders left were eyeballing each other, each wanting overall control. The problem for me became trying to keep them in, uh, informed without showing any bias. And almost comically, I say almost comically because it was a serious situation, I was dealing with three people with the same Christian name. John Myers, chief executive of Guardian Media. John Modeski, chairman of Reading 107 and owner of Goodhead Publishing. John Cooling, chief executive of Goodhead Publishing. The number of times you have to clarify which John you were talking about was I say almost comical. I would innocently say I was talking to John and the other John would say, you were talking to John. And what they were really saying was, you've spoken to him before you've spoken to me. All political bollocks as far as I was concerned. Anyway, after the girls went on maternity leave, I took over all control of revenue. So extra responsibilities for me. All of a sudden, John Cooling from Goodhead phoned me and asked about the dates. He said, can I have the next six months of dates for uh, you at Warwick University? Now, the board had approved that right at the very start that I could do those dates. And it was a kind of warning sign. And I did wonder. In fact, John Cooling seemed to be, generally speaking, on my case. So this was autumn 2005. And by now, not having Joanna Bishop there was definitely affecting the revenue. So life was becoming more difficult. And just as I was beginning to feel the pressure, a fourth major happening occurred. It involved my brother, Tim. As I alluded to at the end of the last episode, I think it was October 2005. Again, all in the year, all packed in. Twice in quick succession, Ben Rice had had to take over during the breakfast show when Tim was unwell and collapsed. After the second time, I met with Tim at his home and he said, Tony, I can't go on getting up at 4.30 in the morning, Monday to Friday. It's killing me. Now, this would be bad enough from any pres other presenter, but from your own brother, a real bombshell. Just to rewind you, 
when I first recruited Tim, the one condition I applied to taking him on was that I knew he had issues with drinking, a bit like my dad. And he agreed that Monday to Friday, he would not drink. And he hadn't, but he'd done a fantastic job and his team absolutely adored him. What happened though, after nearly three years, he couldn't keep it going. And it had all caught up with him again. Not the best situation for me to be faced with. Technically, he was terminating his contract and I had to inform the board. I didn't tell the board about the drink, but I said he was exhausted and had to stop. I negotiated for Tim a three-month payoff, which in reality, he wasn't entitled to. All very difficult and emotional. So I dealt with the board and the press and I kept the story the same about him being exhausted and needing a break. That said, it was a massive blow to the station and the audience. Ben Rice took over the main presenter role on the show, but this was a big leap for him as well. So now I was overseeing programming as well as revenue, effectively 15% of the staff down representing all the senior management are gone. Of course, I was supported by the senior people in programming and news, and they were brilliant, but it was a big extra responsibility. All of this happened within a matter of months. The board situation only made matters worse. Very often, I was being caught in the crossfire. They asked me to put a cost-saving plan together. My argument against it was that in the new year, by February, Joanna Bishop would be back and revenue would pick up and we could steady the ship. Anyway, towards the end of Christmas New Year, I reluctantly submitted that first cost-cutting plan. Even though it reached the level of cost-cutting they required, they still weren't happy. I don't know what you're supposed to do. At times like this, boards have very short memories, and all the success of the early years seemed to count for absolutely nothing. I'm not trying to say, woe is me, hope it doesn't sound that way, because it is your job to deal with it. But it was tough to take. I'm just telling you how I felt. I was asked to make further cuts. This time, inevitably, it would involve people. So you have to legally go through a consultation period. And just to check that I got that right, I talked to the HR lady at uh, Goodhead Publishing. I had only just put the note out to inform people about that period, which I had to do, when I got a call from an irate John Cooling, chief executive of Goodhead, her boss, to say, why had I put the note out? I explained legally I had to. He said it would affect the morale at the radio station. Do you think I hadn't thought about that? Anyway, that was a shortage conversation. So I felt whatever I did wasn't good enough. Not a pleasant position to be in. Whilst all this was going on, I had a call from Hugh Broom. This was a good one who used to work for us at Reading 107 and now, by now, was working at Capital Radio very successfully. He said, quite out of the blue in the conversation, why did you knife your brother in the back and get rid of him? I said, what did you just say? And he repeated it. I said, who told you that? Anyway, my brother Tim had told him. I wasn't best pleased. I rang Tim and I said, well, let's keep it polite, WTF. I spoke very clearly. I said, if you tell anybody else in the industry that story, I will tell them the truth because I was just going around telling people he was exhausted and needed a break. Not a great moment in the Grundy family history. And I have to say, not surprisingly, at least to me, I didn't talk much with Tim 
over the next couple of months. But I heard he was back in the local pub on a daily basis. Not good. Then in early 2006, I think, Tim and Fiona made a very unwise decision to have a holiday. Not, not the holiday being a problem, but it was an all-inclusive break in Cuba. So the drinks were free for two weeks. On the flight back, Tim, not drinking on the flight, became very ill and ended up in the Royal Barks. Not at all well. I visited as he recovered, but Tim was Tim. He just seemed okay about it all and said it must have been food poisoning. It wasn't. So Tim's situation was not good and the consultant told him to stop drinking, which initially he did. Now, as MD going back to the station, you're juggling lots of plates and at the same time, trying not to project the pressures to the rest of the staff, who largely speaking, was still doing a great job. And apart from the breakfast show, things were much the same. You've got top professionals like Robert Kenny, Andy Jones, the news side, all helping and doing great work. Obviously, I talked with Sue, my wife, about all these goings on, but we've always talked about work matters, both hers and mine. I believe that helps, but neither did I want to overload Sue with it too much either. I think it was April when I submitted, because I was asked to, another plan to cut costs. And one of my big regrets was this time it had to involve Warren Lee, our community manager, having been made redundant. Warren had been a great professional, totally loyal and hardworking. And that was really difficult meeting and obviously incredibly difficult for him. So I was very sad about that. And even at the board meeting where I was presenting the plan, there was real tension. It seemed like everybody was having a go. I was the target. I remember thinking that if I looked out the window and I said, I think it's a really nice day, somebody would say, I think it's going to rain. Anyway, I remember saying at the end of my report and plan that because there was crossfire in that that concludes my report and I shut up and I said very little to the end of the meeting because I was fuming with the way they were treating me at the end of the meeting I said to the chairman I want to see you this afternoon for a meeting he looked at me and he said what about I said this and pointed to the room as people were just leaving so I went to see the chairman. I said, OK, John, let's talk man to man. I said, I'm not prepared to continue to do the job of MD under these circumstances. I went on. I said, life is too short. Now, John knew of my family history and Vicky's death and so on. And I went on. I said, I no longer want to be the fall guy. I have nothing to apologise for. I'm dealing to the best of my ability with a very difficult situation. I have confidence in my ability, so I will find other work. John said, what do you want me to do about it? I said, I want you to go to Guardian Media, bearing in mind I've got 5% of the company as well, and I want you to come back with a settlement figure. It'll be agreeable to me. Bearing in mind, I say with 5%, that's slightly more complicated legally. John said, are you sure? I said, listening to you and Guardian Media at each other's throats for overall ownership, I think an MD's role at the moment is untenable here. So it was all very emotional. You then go back to the station and you try to carry on as normal. Business life is tough and you're not really entitled to feel aggrieved. But I did feel very sad it had come to this. Things with legal documents were then flying backwards and forwards and that's never a good time. I remember Sue was very upset on my behalf because it was like it was me, little me, against the two big organisations. 
and guess who was going to win that bout? Anyway, I think we settled finally in May 2006. I wanted to get on with it. I'd had enough of the documents going backwards and forwards. Very sad to leave such good people at the station. And it was not fair or professional to burden them with all the details. In practice, it was only a matter of six months before John Modeski, yeah, six months before he bought out Guardian Media. And that says it all. Could have been different, I suppose. But anyway, what I know is that over the next six years, Reading 107 had six MDs, either full-time or acting. And it was a bit like some football club. So maybe it wasn't an easy task for anyone to run that station. Hey, he says with bitterness. Anyway, amazingly, whilst I, I left Reading 107, there is still another fascinating line to the story later, six years on, in 2012. We'll save that for a later time. The thing for me to do in 2006 was to take stock of things. And apart from my Warwick University work, take time out to work out what was next for me. The phone rang quite a bit, I'm pleased to say. One of the early calls was from Nigel Reeve, who'd twice been a client of mine with Communicate Now. Firstly, when he was MD at Invicta Radio in Kent, when he wanted me to sort out the sales and the management training. And then when he was at Classic FM, which is a lovely account to get in London, which was then controlled by GCAP, formerly GWR. They'd taken over Capital Radio. Both good, good accounts to have. And Nigel and I got on very well at that time. So the reason for his call this time was he was now putting together radio bids and applying for licenses. And he was applying for the new license for Oxford to rival Fox FM, later to become Hart Thames Valley. We met up and very quickly, I was appointed project director of the proposed license. I think it was called Castle FM. And to be honest, turning left at the top of my road for Oxford, instead of right for Reading, actually made a pleasant change, I have to say. Not being involved in Reading as a radio station, it also meant I could take on individual radio stations training where, as and where they needed it. It was nice to feel wanted again, to be honest. I never did fall out with John Modeski. There is a saying that says, I don't know where it came from, but it's sensible, never fall out with a multimillionaire. So every so often, I, every three months or so, I would have a cup of coffee with him and keep in touch. That said, I did find Oxford interesting. And as usual, with deadlines approaching, I was both checking out potential investors and getting the interest of potential advertisers. It does have a charm of its own, Oxford. You know, it, it's a nice place to work in. And I was working from offices uh, near the castle. And whether you watch Morse or Endeavour, you know, you know what I mean. It looks lovely. I thought we had a decent chance of success in a competitive market for the bid. But Nigel Reeve by then was a very busy chap. He was all over the place. Tying him down was difficult and holding his attention for any length of time was, let's say, challenging. Anyway, we got the document in and went through all the checks and balances the authority required. But unfortunately, we weren't successful. The license went to a group that eventually turned it into Jack FM which to this day, I think, is a very good Oxford station and much better than Hart. Anyway, one event, though, that was nice during that time was Sue and I, uh, Oxford Castle were an investor of ours, the castle itself, were an investor in, in, the, in the project. 
and they were having a visit from the Queen. And we were invited, not obviously to meet the Queen, but as investors, Castle FM put us in the front row, as it were. I think somewhere there's a picture, I'll try and dig it out, of Sue and I in the crowd as the Queen is walking by. It's a lovely day, beautiful sunshine. So good memories, and in many ways, good therapy, the Oxford thing for me, after the Reading 107, well, let's say traumas. My mind, though, had also been focusing on other projects. All those years before, I'd set up a company when I was at 210 called Media First to train business people how to deal with the media, be it TV, radio, newspapers, whatever. Increasingly, media people were more highly trained than the people they were interviewing. So it was a good idea all those years ago at 210. So why not look again, I thought. What I started to do was think who I might work with on a project like this and what kind of skills we might need. I'd already started to do media buying and planning for a couple of uh, clients in Reading who I'd worked with at Reading 107 and wanted to keep going, which was a nice compliment. So the ball was already rolling in a way. This was probably early 2007. I talked with a guy who had produced local ads for Reading 107, Gordon Hunter, so he would be useful to get involved. I knew a good marketing guy locally, Jeff Ward, who's a friend of mine. He was good. And news and for news and TV, I, I spoke to Andy Jones, who was still at Reading 107. What I really needed was a top presenter of both TV and radio. I wonder who I could choose. Well, after this very, very, very full episode, I will save that for next time. The Reading 107 story so far shows all the true ups and downs <coughs> in the world, excuse me, of radio. You have come a long way with me on my radio journey, but it's not over yet. So if you have got any of your own stories and comments, listen out for the contact details at the end of this podcast. I will be with you next week at a time and a place to suit you with another Grundy's Grumbles. See you later. Grundy's Grumbles with Tony Grundy is a For The Now media production. If you would like to get in touch with Tony or have any radio stories of your own, email tony at forthenow.co.uk.